you just keep trusting me. Keep letting me provide. Amen. He won't leave us comfortless. He won't leave us fatherless. He'll never forsake us. Amen. As long as we're trusting in Him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us today, God. Thank you for loving us today. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Amen. He loves us today. Not just us, but the whole world. Amen. We need to be about his business of telling them he loves them. Amen. He loves them. I just want us also, as we dismiss our children today, to pray for Nancy. Uh, She's been dealing with cancer. So remember Nancy done in your prayers. We want to continue to pray that God will completely heal her body, restore her health. Amen. Because he is able. Amen. By his stripes, ye were healed. Amen. By his stripes, we can claim healing today in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to continue on uh, talking about the coming of the Lord. We are in the season of the first coming where we acknowledge his coming in the manger in the man Christ Jesus great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh God came as a man but that's not the only time he comes he comes again amen and we have that blessed hope that he comes again and we're going to read a passage of scripture concerning the rapture today because the rapture and the second coming in my understanding of the scriptures are different events sometimes we consider them the same or we use verbiage like Jesus is coming to address the rapture or the second coming but they're not the same thing they're two different events and anytime you study the book of Revelation or things concerning the end times you're going to get different opinions. And I'm not here today to uh, wield a sword against someone else's opinion. The Bible is, should never be an argument piece. Amen? It should be something we use to seek truth. And so I've prayed and I've studied this week in response to some questions that someone asked me about the Lord's coming and a statement I made last week about the church not being here during the Great Tribulation. And so uh, to follow that up today, I want to explain that. Um, So I think it's something all of us can look into and benefit from. So 1 Corinthians 15 and starting with verse number 50. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
Not only does that give us great hope, but that phrase has been said, it would be perfect for a nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Think about it. If Some of you seem like you're having a little struggle with that today. But if you have toddlers, you, you immediately identify <laughs> with that statement. <laughs> in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, so not just a blink of an eye, but even faster than a blink of an eye, just the twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. This body that ages and breaks down, it's going to receive a new body. We're going to receive a new body that does not have corruption in it. And that is not mortal, but is immortal. Verse 54, So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. The whole reason Jesus came and died and rose again was to have victory over death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? I like the Lord's teasing a little bit here. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Like, is that the best you got? Did someone open the window? I think I felt a breeze. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You had no victory. What do you got now? Here's a bunch of empty places in the ground. All the saints are gone. You didn't hold them. Where's your victory? Because the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He overcame death. He overcame the effects of sin. And we can partake in His righteousness through obedience to the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10 1 Thessalonians 1.10 Last verse we'll read before we pray and we're seated. And I want to key in on the last phrase here. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says To wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead even Jesus. Whenever it's talking about the Son of God it's speaking of the the flesh, the man, Christ Jesus. He raised him from the dead. And even so, we will be raised and delivered from the wrath to come. In the context of this scripture, just getting ahead of myself for one second, it's not talking about eternal wrath and hell. It's in context of the catching away of the saints, the rapture, Okay? You can say the word rapture is not in the Bible. I've heard that. But the word rapture is rooted in catching away. That's what it means. Catching away. And that is in the Bible. In Thessalonians. So the, the church has a hope today. The blessed hope of the rapture. Amen. We have a blessed hope that we will be out of here during the great tribulation. 
We will not have to worry about the mark of the beast being forced on us. We won't be here. We'll be gone. We won't have to bow to him. We don't have to worry about standing up instead of bowing. We won't be here. The church will be raptured because he is delivering us from the wrath to come. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I always need your help, but especially today. I pray you'll help me to organize my thoughts on this and keep this in a, a way that we can comprehend it, we can understand it. Give revelation through me as I speak and to the hearers, Lord, that we would all receive a greater understanding of the hope that we have as the church, the body, the bride of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we have the hope that you're going to save us from the wrath to come. Lord, we're not going to be here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost. We are not going to be here. We are going to be with you, Jesus. We're going to be with you in glory, Jesus. You're going to take us out of here. The blood-bought church that you purchased with your own blood, God. We're going to be out of this place. The son of perdition will not have power over us. Because the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Praise God, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. As long as the church is in this world, there is no weapon formed against it that can prosper. As long as the church is here, nobody can be greater. Because greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank You for this blessed hope today, God. And we pray that hope will rise up in us today. That You'll quicken us in our mortal bodies today. You'll refresh us today. Liven us up, God, with the hope that we will not be here, that your church will be taken out of this place and that we'll be safe with you in peace and joy, ruling and reigning with you, Jesus. Amen. We love you, Lord. Amen. Before we are seated, can we just, if you want to today, just ask him to touch your heart today, touch your mind today, that we'll receive the word of God today. Amen. We seem to be living in the very last days where He could return very, very quickly. I want to be ready to meet Him in the air. I don't want to be left behind. I want to be ready to meet Jesus when He calls His church home. Amen. If we gain the whole world and lose our soul, we have gained nothing. Amen. Nothing. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can be uh, seated today. What an amazing presence of God that is here. And it's very comforting to me because I've prayed and asked Him to help me this week. They say there's a lot of speculation about the end times and a lot of things that are written and said. And I don't want to sensationalize anything. I want to just know what the Word of God says. Amen. Amen. John 14 is one of the passages that lends 
insight to the rapture of the church, the catching away. John 14, 1 through 3. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So we see that God is going to take us to a place where he is. A dwelling place where he is. 1 Corinthians, we already read, so I'll skip over that for sake of time. But as we read there, we will be changed. At the sound of the trump, the Lord will bring us out of this world and we shall be changed. Forever changed. To take on an immortal, incorruptible body. Fully delivered from the sting of sin and death. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, First and Second Thessalonians give us a lot of insight. First Thessalonians four thirteen says, "But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him." For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. All those who are dead in Christ will raise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These are words of comfort that the Lord will call His church home. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then they which are alive and remain will be called up. Or caught up. Where we get the word rapture. With them in the clouds. To be with the Lord in the air. Amen. So the question today. Is when does this rapture take place? Again some believe it's before the tribulation. Which I do. Some believe it's in the middle of the tribulation somewhere. And some believe it's after or post-tribulation. And because there's so much controversy, there's something sometimes we joke around with at a Mexican restaurant. Are you pre-chip, mid-chip, or post-chip in your prayers? Do you pray before you get the chip? 
In the middle of eating the chip? Or after you eat the chips? To examine today charts on 70 weeks. There's a couple of them there, Brother Ryan, if you don't mind bringing those up. Charts on Daniel's 70 weeks. We need to understand today that Daniel prophesied about the end times in chapter number 9. And we see here, there's going to be 7 weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. And if you want to read Daniel 9 later on your own time, you'll see that this time is prophesied about in the end of Daniel chapter 9. There's 7 weeks of years or 49 years and then there's 62 weeks of years or 434 years which leads right up to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then there is this time which we'll look at a verse. Why don't we go ahead and just read Ephesians 3 and 4 through 10. Ephesians 3 and 4 through 10. The church age was a mystery to Daniel. He didn't understand what the church age was. It was not revealed unto him. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. It wasn't revealed to people in previous times. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. And the partakers of his promise in Christ. How? By the gospel. Wherefore I am made a minister, Paul says, according to the gift of grace. The grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who I am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principles, or excuse me, the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known. How is this mystery revealed? By the church, the manifold wisdom of God. The gospel age, the church age, the mystery in Christ was not known in the past. In Colossians 1, 26-28, Colossians 1, 26, Even the mystery, which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here it is, Christ in you. This is a mystery in the Old Testament. They had no idea. Christ in you. The hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That last phrase could be the mission statement of every church. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's what it's all about. This was a mystery. So back to the timeline, please. We see that there's 69 weeks that are fulfilled in the Old Testament. From the time of the prophecy to the coming of Christ. 69 weeks representing years 
And then there's this gap, the present age, the mystery of the church. And then there's the 70th week. Let's read Daniel 9 and 27, please. Daniel 9, 27. This fits a lot better. The verbiage of Daniel 9, 27 fits a lot better to be part of the tribulation. And can we read uh, verse 26 through 27, please? Brother Ryan. And after three score and two weeks, okay, three score is how many? 60, right? Old school, three score, 70 years ago, no. Three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So there was the seven weeks, then that 62 weeks until the Messiah was cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, does this sound like anything that happened around the time of Christ? It sounds to me like the tribulation. One more verse. And he, again, I believe that's speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week or seven years. He'll confirm a covenant. And in the midst of the week, again, it represents years, in the midst of the seven years or three and a half years in, somewhere in there, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. He allowed them to build the temple. He's going to come take over and say no more sacrifices in the temple. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, where we get the term abomination of desolation when the Antichrist steps into the holy place in place of the sacrifice. Even until he, even until the consummation and the determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. So that to me sounds like the tribulation. And the Antichrist and the tribulation. So back to our timeline. It makes perfect sense when you read, and there's a lot more scriptures we could examine, but that those 69 weeks were fulfilled with the coming of Christ the first time. And then there's the church age that Daniel did not prophesy about. And the last week is the tribulation. Jesus dealt with the Jews here. He deals with the church here. And again, the Jews in the final tribulation. He's dealing with the Jews. Okay, Revelation 1.18. We're just going around today. Jumping around. Examining a few different things. Revelation 1.18. It establishes a timeline of the prophecy the book of Revelation. The book of the Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the first part of it, the Lord tells John to write the things which you saw. Again, speaking of the vision of Jesus Christ. The things which are. He was where at in the church age. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 deal with the church. The word church, or the, the term church, is mentioned 19 times in Revelation 2 and 3, but never again afterwards until 
chapter 19 when the Lord comes back with the church. So where did the church go? Why did the Lord stop talking to the church? Because they weren't here. There's no, there's no instruction given to the church during that time. Chapter 4 to 18, there's no instruction given to the church. Chapter 4 is the things which shall come to pass after this, after the church age. Revelation 4 through 18 tell us about the great tribulation. And they only refer to the Jews, not the church. Okay, there's going to be believers in the tribulation, but it's not going to be the church. It's not going to be the church. So let's look here at, at uh, one, one scripture that kind of throws people off. Just jump ahead here. I know it's in here. This is the danger of going out of order. Okay. So the word saints, I believe it's in Revelation uh, 17, 3. I don't know why I can't find it on here. Where the enemy makes war with the saints. Is that chapter 17, verse 3? I'm just guessing because for some reason I can't find it on here. Okay, here we go. 13.7, not 17.3. I was dyslexic for a minute in my memory. Revelation 13.7. That's where I wanted. So this, I believe this, this scripture trips people up. It says, It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So he was given power to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now how could the Antichrist overcome the church? Number one. I don't believe he can. But also, what we need to understand is the word saints isn't always referring to people that are in the church. I only need two scriptures to prove this. And there's, you can find a lot more, I'm sure. But we always think of saints as church, right? They're saints, they must be in the church. But Matthew 27 and 52 Matthew 27 and 52 says, The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So this is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When He was here 2,000 years ago, before the day of Pentecost and the church was born, and they were called saints. They weren't church members. The church wasn't born. So the word saints doesn't always mean church. And so just because uh, Revelation uh, 
13.7 says that he made war against the saints. People say, well, the church must be here. No. Saints could be Old Testament, New Testament. Saints just means that God's made them holy. That's all it means. It doesn't mean they're part of the bride of Christ. See why it's important to look up verses instead of just guess? <laughs> well, it says saints must be church. It doesn't have to be part of the church because I believe the church won't be here during the tribulation. And the, another thing that people say, again, I'm not trying to argue with anybody, but just present the other side of the coin that I believe is biblical. The church does not escape tribulation, but the church escapes the great tribulation. John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you, John 16, 33, that in me you might have peace. Again, I think God wants us to have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So I'm not advocating the church won't go through any trouble. I'm not just trying to escape trouble. I'm not just believing in the the rapture being before the great tribulation because I don't want to go through trouble. Try telling people who got their heads cut off, they didn't go through trouble. There's already plenty of people in the church that have unspeakable torture done to them in the past we're going to have tribulation but the difference is we're not going to go through the great tribulation because the great tribulation is the wrath of God it's the wrath of God it's not just the wrath of man it's the wrath of God there's a difference and that's the wrath that He is saving us from that He speaks of in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. When He will pour out His wrath, that's the wrath we are saved from. We deal with the wrath of man today. Thankfully, not too bad in this country right now. But there's other parts of the country where they deal with the wrath of man in great measure. But when God's wrath is poured out, that's entirely different. It's entirely different. The great tribulation, Matthew 24, 21 says, is different. Matthew 24, 21, then shall be great tribulation, that's why we call it that, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. This is a different kind of tribulation because it includes the wrath of God which the church will not be subject to. The wrath of man, yes. The wrath of God, no. We have a, a chart here. There's In Revelation 4 onward through 18, it speaks of the great tribulation, and there's these judgments. Brother uh, Ryan, there should be a chart in there. Um, the next one, there we go. It's not the easiest to see. But you have the seven seals the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of wrath. Now some people would suggest, again, that the seals are not the wrath of God. Who opens them? 
Jesus. How could it not be from God when it's opened by Jesus? It originates in heaven. So don't tell me it's not, of, it's not God's wrath when Jesus opens it. It's the wrath of God. It begins in the very first seal. And John weeps and says, who can open these? And, and the Lamb comes forward and opens them. And John weeps because God's wrath is about to be poured out. And they, they do increase in severity to where when you get to the bowls of wrath, people have no question whether that's the wrath of God. <laughs> but the first 14 are too. So the bowls of wrath in the last three and a half years are the worst. Yes, the last three and a half years of the tribulation are the worst. But God's wrath begins in the very beginning. The first seal, which is the time where the Antichrist will make a deal with Israel of peace. On the false premise that he's on their side. But as we heard earlier, things will change drastically in short order. And all kinds of things, all heaven's going to break loose. Right now we say all hell breaks loose. All heaven's going to break loose. There. Because God is a just God. And people can stand back and say, how can God judge the world like that? Because He's vindicating the years and years and years that His church has been persecuted. That's why people that persecute God's, God's people now are so unwise, especially when they're arrogant and they think, I can do whatever I want. The day of the Lord is coming where God will vindicate judgment. The purpose of the tribulation is twofold, to pour out judgment on unbelievers for godlessness and even coming against Him and His people. And secondly, to prepare the Jews for the Messiah, His second coming. Again, in the tribulation, the 70th week, God is dealing once again with the nation of Israel. There's no purpose for the church going through the tribulation. And again, I've heard people say, well, it's just not fair if the church doesn't. What are you talking about? It's not fair if the church doesn't go through the tribulation. Kidding me? I don't want that kind of reasoning. We get to escape the wrath of God. So I know I'm kind of all over the place today. I'm trying to keep it somewhat in a manner where it's understandable. But this is something very important. Again, we can get in some time in the future, maybe in the near future if God leads, but it doesn't really matter at this point what the seals are, what the trumpets are, what the bulls of wrath are. Just understand it's the wrath of God. And He's going to save us from that. So we're not going to be here for that. We're not going to be here for that. And if someone believes they're going to be here and they've obeyed the gospel and they're just going to be disappointed, I guess. I don't know how you can be disappointed to avoid that. 
But they might be disappointed. But I'm not saying they're not saved. And if, God forbid, I'm wrong, it's never happened before, but maybe... just one time could happen then I'm just going to be ready whatever what happens and I understand that God will keep us through tribulation so I'm not worried about it going through the tribulation and being lost but I think it's more of a danger to be thinking there are certain things that have to happen before the Lord returns because the rapture again Not the second coming, which we know will happen after the great tribulation. But when people are trying to attach events to what has to happen before he can rapture his church, that to me is more dangerous than being ready every day. Because what if you're waiting around for something to happen and it doesn't? And the rapture happens. That's not a good place to be. I would rather just be ready And if I'm wrong, he'll keep me through the tribulation. But I don't believe he's going to put the church through that. There's no purpose for them to go through it. If you really dissect the scripture and you look at all the prophecies, I just don't believe there's a purpose for the church in the great tribulation. He's dealing with the nation of Israel again. Like he did before the church. So if someone tries to tell you a bunch of stuff's got to happen first, if you respect me at all, let it go in one ear, out the other. Love them, smile, chew good smelling gum, don't give them bad breath, but flush it. Because you don't need to be watching all this stuff needs to happen before he comes. He could come, the early church taught like he could come any moment of any day again there's people I respect that believe in post tribulation I I respect them I love them I believe as much as I understand they're saved but I just can't get on board with all that because part of what happens you start trying to pigeonhole events that happen in the world to these Seals or trumpets or bulls of wrath. Like, this happened in 1947 and it was the, this seal. Then this happened here and it was this seal. And, I mean, they don't believe in the seven year tribulation anyways, but we're in the tribulation, then we're not in the tribulation. We're in it maybe, we're not now. And I believe that breeds confusion sometimes. And it can discredit the word of God. Anybody, a fail-proof test, anybody who says, I know when Jesus is coming, false prophet. She said nobody knows. Not even the angels know. So how do you know, pray tell me? (laughs) You have this connection with God, I guess, but 1988 came and went. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Sold a lot of books. A lot of people went to church until 1989. And they're like, I guess Jesus isn't coming this year, so back to living how I want. Looks like that was wrong. Y2K, I heard someone say. 
Computers are going to shut down. We're all going to die. Better buy a bunch of beans and rice. Stock up. But it came and went. Came and went. So the point is, we need to be ready every day because Jesus could return any day. And I just don't believe we're going to be here during the Great Tribulation. I don't feel that, that the scriptures teach that. Again, I'm not... Sometimes in my flesh I want to know, well, who believes this and who believes that? Because I want to know, you know, who I'm aligned with. But that can't be my concern. My concern needs to be, what does the Word of God say? What does the Bible say? And I believe the Bible tells us we will escape the wrath. In Luke 21, 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always. Luke 21, 36. That ye may abound, or excuse me, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Apparently there's a way to escape all these things. And I believe it is being part of the church. Before um, concluding today, I also want to just caution people. I don't think that it's a good idea to be left behind thinking, I want to be part of some special forces tribulation unit that makes great entertaining books but it doesn't make theological sense I just don't see it in the scripture so you know their minds went crazy on imagination and I give them credit for having a great imagination they certainly did and if you want to read something that just it's just entertaining but you don't don't take it to heart because if you can't live for God now and again God's going to be dealing with the nation of Israel and I believe there will be believers the Bible talks of every nation kindred and tongue there's more that are coming in besides just the Jews but it's going to be a different situation than what we have now as the church so don't bank on missing the rapture and then getting serious it's just not a good idea it doesn't make sense Charles Spurgeon said oh beloved let us try every morning to get up as if it were the morning in which Christ would come and when we go up to bed at night may we lay down with this thought perhaps I will be awakened by the ringing out of silver trumpets, heralding His coming. Before the sun rises, I may be startled from my dreams by the greatest of all cries. The Lord is come. The Lord is come. What a check. What an incentive. What a bridle. What a spur such thoughts as these would be to us. Take this for the guide of your whole life. Act as if Jesus would come during the act in which you are engaged. In other words, 
He is, but ask yourself the question, can Jesus sit next to me while I do this? While I say this? While I act like this? He's there anyways. But acknowledge that he's there. Would he condone of this? Would this please him? And if you would not wish to be caught in that act by the coming of the Lord, let it not be your act. In modern translation, don't do it. (laughs) The imminent coming of Christ could happen at any day, coming to a close. Belief in this imminent coming produces many things, but primarily three things I want to mention as we close today. It affects the church in three vital ways. It produces holy living in an unholy society. For we know that we must keep ourselves ready at all times for the rapture. 1 John 3, 3 1 John 3, 3, And every man that has this hope, that has this hope in him, purifies himself, even as he is pure. When we have the hope of the election of the calling, we will make sure we are ready. And we know we can't purify ourselves, but it means we submit ourselves to God so he can cleanse us. Number two, this imminent coming and this acknowledgement of it causes us to evaluate the way we live our lives, spend our time and money, and set all of our priorities. Because again, if I gain the whole world and lose my soul, I've gained nothing. But because we are subject to view everything about what's best for us, we stop there sometimes. But really, we should also say, if I gain the whole world and my neighbor loses their soul. If I gain the whole world and my son or my daughter loses their soul. What have I gained? We can't control their choice. But we can live in such a way we are helping them as much as we can. And finally, understanding he could come any moment, not looking for events that have to happen first produces an evangelistic church of soul winning Christians we believe he could return at any moment we will realize how crucial it is that others get saved before it is too late Revelation 20 and verse 15 says Revelation 20 and 15 Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A place of eternal damnation is still a reality. And I know that God takes no delight in someone who goes there. And neither should we. But that won't stop him from being just. God will either let people in heaven or banish them to eternity in hell that's not a fear tactic today I'm not trying to scare anybody 
I'm just telling you the way it is. Wouldn't you want a doctor to tell you the reality of the situation? And if they did, would you say, quit using fear tactics on me? No, it's just the way it is. It's cut and dry. It's the way it is. So if we really believe that, it'll cause us to change the way we approach every day and every decision. And because we're human, we need to be reminded sometimes. So today, if you're like those men on the day of Pentecost who were pricked in their hearts and just said, uh, I need to change some things. That's why we're here. To not go away feeling bad. To say, God, help me. I need your help in my life. Help me not get all distracted by all this other stuff that's going on and lose sight of the fact you can come any day. You can come any moment. Amen. If we could stand today. We should plan for the future the best we can. But we should always live every day as if it's our last. Because besides the Lord's return, again, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying. We could die any day. Thankfully for God's grace, many of us could stand and testify, probably all of us, and say, God saved my life here. I should have died here. On and on and on. But that doesn't give us a chance to sit in the easy chair, kick back our feet, and say, I don't need to worry about it.